Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. It's a new year. It's a new decade. Well, the answer to that question, of course, is I don't know. And uh, I'm not going to predict either, because this is what Think Tank, who'd advised NASA on the space missions and things like that, confidently predicted that by the year 2020, we would have, uh, for the houses that didn't have a robot in the broom moment to let the inappropriate spouse jokes dissipate, refers might decrease... Specifically, they said, the use of well-trained apes as over Christmas I drove hundreds of miles, and whilst I would have loved Bobo the Chimp to uh, drive me back and forth to Oxford and Bristol, unfortunately, for the uh, sake of this illustration, I was Bobo. So, we're not going to predict anything. Um, it's a dangerous hobby, but the reality is, as Christians, we are actually um, called to keep an eye on times and events, and both live in the here and the now, uh, picking up signs and messages of culture and knowing how to respond with the gospel according, accordingly, but also to always have one eye to the future, the end times. Uh, because as we do that, it'll affect how we live in the here and now. In a moment, we're going to read from a passage of Scripture which uh, talks about this. But firstly, I just want to go back one week to something that Matthew talked about when we were together last Sunday morning. Um, as you know, um, last year we felt God calling us prophetically to a year of more. It's one of the prophetic words, key prophetic words over us as a church, and it's right and important that we keep praying into this and keep expecting more of the things of God for us in 2020. We also believe that this year specifically, God is calling us uh, to, uh, he's given us a theme and calling us to operate within this theme, and the theme and the word is faithful. So this year, much of what we uh, do is going to relate to and accentuate what we believe about that and that God wants us to go deeper in faith and in faithfulness. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking through a story that Jesus told a crowd of people as a means of outlining this theme and also to kind of give us a bit of a pep talk uh, for the year and how we can kind of push in to this area in 2020. The, uh, the Oxford Dictionary definition of the word faithful is this, loyal and steadfast. It is a word that implies unswerving adherence or allegiance to something or someone. And hence, throughout Scripture, God is said to be loyal and steadfast to his people. He's true to his promises. He's faithful. That's why when we get married, we promise to be faithful to our spouse, to remain loyal and steadfast to them alone. It's also a, a major motif that runs through Scripture. The relationship between God and us, his people, is likened to a faithful marriage. Both parties promising themselves to one, other, one another, come what may. And that's also why um, when we read Scripture and see stories of God's people being disobedient to him or worshipping idols, they're said to be unfaithful, adulterous, unfaithful. This sentiment is kind of baked into Scripture at every level, that God is faithful to us and that he expects faithfulness from his people. It's right there in the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods beside me. God has promised, him, he's promised himself to us in that very command. He says, I will be your God as often as you mess up. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere because I've faithfully promised to be your God, whatever the cost. That's faithfulness. That's God's faithfulness to us. I was at a conference um, a few months back with a, a prolific, well-known Bible teacher called Don Carson, who's written 
uh, 50-odd books and equips churches all around the world for uh, generations. Uh, he's a really well-known, uh, deeply respected, educated theologian, and uh, his impact has been vast. And the interviewer said to him, Dr. Carson, you're coming up to the end of your career. What do you want your legacy to be? And his answer has really lived with me, and I want it to live with us this year. He said, I resolved as a young man not to think in terms of legacy, but to think in terms of faithfulness. And that's so powerful, because to live in and operate in terms of faithfulness asks the question, in light of God's faithfulness to, to me, what's the next thing that I should unswervingly do or continue to do in order to take responsibility to play my part in participating in what God has got in store for me and for the world around me. So important. To be faithful, therefore, is a promise. It's a, it's a commitment that we make, and it's looking at what God has placed in your hands and then doing something with that that reflects his faithfulness to us. I'm going to read a, a parable. Uh, you can join me if you like. It's Matthew 25, if you want to grab a Bible in the pouch in front of you, it's on page 994, and uh, we're going to read the parable of the bags of gold, Matthew 25, verse 14. I'll just give you a moment to get there. Page 994, Matthew 25, 14, the parable of the bags of gold. This is Jesus talking to a crowd of people, and he's been telling kind of these short stories as a means of making a point. And this, this is kind of interspersed right in the middle of this speech that he's making. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and uh, put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, he went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two gold bags also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then by that logic, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest at least. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
It's, uh, just to put that story in context, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is speaking to uh, a large crowd of people who've gathered around him, and it would have, the crowd would have in, it included all sorts of people, rich landowners, religious leaders, teachers, it would have included farmers and bakers and slaves, people from all across Jerusalem's socioeconomic range. And in this particular speech, he's telling a series of these short stories, parables, and uh, one of which we've just read, which on one hand seems fairly benign. These are stories about farm workers and people at a wedding party and a man who has his house burgled. But beneath the surface of the story, there's a laser focus to what Jesus is telling them. Because his whole speech is about the fact that very soon he's going away. He'll be crucified and he'll ascend to heaven, but that his followers are not to despair. They're to pick up where he left off. And the direction of the speech is that one day he'll return to be with his people, but that there are responsibilities for how we are to live the Christian life as we wait for his return. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. So he's preparing the people for this, and he's helping them to to know how to live in light of the fact that he's going away, and then one day he'll return. And he starts off by telling them a story about two men in a field, and they're carrying on their daily chores, and then suddenly one of them's gone, and the other one's left completely surprised, doesn't know what to do. And then he tells a story about a person who has their house burgled and the shock of that event on the householder. And as I said, his point is, soon I'm going away, but one day I will return to gather up my people and to make all the broken things in this world right again. Make sure that you're living with that certainty in your heart so that when I return, you're ready and it isn't shocking or devastating and you're living right. Let's just take a moment to pause on that. It's important sometimes to just stop and consider, and the start of a year seems like as good a time as any, to consider that Jesus is one day coming back gateway. That can sometimes sound quite abstract, but one day a trumpet will sound, and the Lord will descend, and every single person from every single nation in every generation will recognize him and they'll recognize him as Lord, and they will bow their knee, and their mouth will open, and they acknowledge that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. That day will come. It's good to occasionally remember that and just get it straight in your heart, that this story that we're part of, it has an ending too. And it ends when Jesus comes and says to his people, come, all you who know me and whom I know, now the dwelling of God is with man. And every single wrong thing in creation will be fixed. And the golden streets of heaven will replace the tarmac roads of our towns and cities and nations when Jesus comes back to take up his rightful place as the king of the nations. Life is is not directionless. Get that straight in 2020. No matter who you are or whether you know Jesus yet or not, you are one way or another caught up in the story. Jesus tells us to remember this and make sure that When all is said and done, our lives reflect this reality. We must live with a sense of readiness for Jesus' return. So he says, be aware. It will be like this, sudden and surprising when I return to you one day, like a thief in the night. And there are consequences for you depending on how you respond to this. And so having kind of reiterated this fact to the crowd, he then develops his case further. And he teaches that in light of the fact that one day he will return, this story of the gold bags is analogous of how we are meant to live as we wait for him. 
And so we get the parable of the gold bags, which essentially answers the question, what therefore is readiness as we wait? And the overwhelming message of this parable for us this morning is that waiting is not a passive matter, but rather one of faithful, responsible action. The parable of the gold bag tells us that in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back to be with my people for all eternity in perfect peace, there is urgent work to be done in the here and now to help people to go deeper in faith and relationship with Jesus and to call others who are yet to know him into that relationship. That's the mandate that's on us all. Jesus has entrusted the health and the growth of his people to us. This is our mission, and every follower of Christ, each one of us in this room has a part to play, without exception. Let's just trace, how, trace out how this works through the parable. In, in those days, most households ran on the labor of servants and slaves, and a, a slave might have become a slave through a variety of means. He may have become a slave by means of how we would ordinarily imagine it, so maybe bought and sold at a market. It was cruel, but it was just the way the world operated back then. But in other contexts, you may have fallen into serious debt in your own business pursuits, and the only way to pay off that debt might have been to sell your family and yourself into slavery. And so the reality is that in some cases, a slave might actually have been a highly educated business person in his own right who'd just fallen on hard times. And therefore, it's possible that for some of these well-educated slaves with good business acumen, they may have actually been asked to oversee the master's family's financial or commercial pursuits. And I think it's likely that's what Jesus is referring to in the story, this, this parable, these three slaves who are probably more like business managers on behalf of the master. And so the master who's about to go away makes an assessment of the situation and makes an assessment of his three slaves, and he gives to each one gold. It says, according to his potential to maintain and to grow the master's estate. So the first one gets five bags of gold, and the second one gets two bags of gold, and the third one gets one bag of gold, and it all comes with the same expectation. I'm entrusting the protection and the growth of my assets to you while I'm away. And in those days, of course, this is the days before stock exchanges and pension funds, to increase your money, to become profitable, would have involved really hard work. Buying, selling, trading, developing farms and vineyards and bakeries and hiring people. It was hard work to grow your wealth. And so when the master returns and the first two slaves return, not only his original investment, but also double what he originally gave them, instantly he can recognize that these slaves have worked hard on his account to increase his asset. They have been faithful with the task. When he left, the estate was one size, and when he returns, the estate has grown and is more healthy. They've been faithful with the measure entrusted to them, and they are duly rewarded for their faithfulness. I used to, um, I used to work in the corporate world before I worked for the church, and I can tell you now that that's the expectation of, of any CEO, that you are entrusted with the assets of the business, and that you work hard, you apply your talent to increasing that asset. That's commercially what's required. That's a job well done. But the third slave says that he was afraid of losing the master's wealth. He sees that the master's a shrewd and good businessman, and he decides that the best thing he can do is nothing. I'll just bury the bag of gold. I won't spend it. I won't waste it. I won't invest it. And at least that way, I won't lose it, and I'll save my hide. Now, 
You might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, that's reasonable. At least he didn't lose the money, and okay, you have a point. And speaking from a commercial perspective again, I have been in countless meetings in the corporate world where people have essentially said the same thing. I know profits aren't what you expected, but at least we haven't gone bankrupt. And I've also seen people fired for exactly that type of ethic towards their work. Because the point of commerce is not simply to hold your ground until the CEO swoops in uh, to your department and does your work for you. That's what he hired you for. It's for you as the metaphorical slave in this analogy to work hard and to faithfully apply yourself in order that you might present a gift to the master, to the CEO. As those entrusted with gifts from our master Jesus, our job is to do the same. It's to increase his asset. Grow the family business. Take what he holds most dear, his people, and develop it by helping people to go deeper in faith and in relationship with him and helping people to come into the family of God. That's what it means to increase the master's business. And that's what it means to be faithful with the gift that God has given you. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to lead you into thinking that the way to salvation and to finding favor with God is through endless production. That's not the point, and that's also not grace. That's not what we believe here. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus loves you in spite of yourself and your abilities. But there is an instruction to faithful living here that we should take very seriously. Because there's a a kind of religion which we can be uh, in danger of adopting, which sort of plays it safe, which is focused not necessarily wrongly on keeping your slate clean, not sticking your head above the parapet. That's what the third slave finds himself guilty of, but the master is not pleased with this. Because living ready as a Christian means active, faithful service, which produces results in line with what God is doing in history. And what God is doing in history is calling people from every tribe and tongue in every generation to comprise his family and to one day live with him in eternal perfection. That's the mission of God. We get to participate in that mission. That's what we should be doing with our energies as we await the return of Christ. To put all of this another way, Jesus isn't dependent on our work for his enrichment. It's not like his kingdom won't come if we don't produce or do stuff. It's actually better described as the other way around. We are saved and set free because Jesus has worked for us. But sometimes when you come to Scripture, we need to kind of train our minds to bend in two directions at once. In 1 Corinthians 7.22, the Apostle Paul calls us slaves to Christ. In other words, if you came to Christ as a slave, which in a sense we all did, and you are, you are now free. And consequently, if you are free, you are a slave to Christ. Because none of us is set free by Jesus to just do our own thing. We're set free to fully and finally say yes to God and to be in relationship with him and importantly to work with him in achieving his plan for creation. This is a high privilege. It's the highest privilege of sons and daughters that we've been adopted into his family. And he now allows us into all that he's doing because we are family. And in this way, Jesus is both our joy, our rescuer from slavery and death and sin, and he's also our master, placing us in the service of the king as sons and daughters. 
We've achieved nothing that Christ hasn't achieved for us. And what he's achieved for us is marvelous. And what we now get to do on mission for him and with him is marvelous too. Because this redemption and salvation from sin and death that we know was never intended just for us. It was intended that all people might come to know the saving knowledge of Christ. The third slave in the parable isn't commended for safeguarding the money in the ground. The master could have just done that himself. He's called wicked and lazy, precisely because he was not faithful to the task of increasing the master's asset. How are you going to be faithful to the task of increasing the master's asset in 2020? Each of us has been given a measure of faith according to the assessment of the master. And to each of us is given the task of increasing the family business. I often spend time with people who say, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what I'm called to. And I have great sympathy with that. I have often felt that way myself. And for some people, their gift is much more obvious. If you're a brilliant musician or if you can write books or you're an excellent artist, it might seem much easier for you to work out your gift. But perhaps it's worth considering some of the other gifts that God may have given you for the purpose of increasing the family business. Maybe he's made you great at helping young families get through the early years of child-rearing. Maybe he's given you a big house to be hospitable in. Maybe he's given you the sort of personality that allows you to empathize with people, or to speak to crowds, or to sit with someone in their grief. Maybe he's allowed you to live in Dorset in peacetime so that you can pray and be faithful and tell people about Jesus without fear of persecution or or execution, as might be the case in other parts of the world. But also, he doesn't fire commands at us out of nowhere. He himself is the faithful one who draws us into relationship and draws us into faithful service in the mission of God. Just consider this. Long, Long before the earth was formed, back in time immemorial, God conceptualized you. You personally. He knew your name. He knew you were going to be like. He loved you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He pre-planned that you would come to know him, that you would receive Jesus one day. And when the catastrophe of sin entered the world and severed the relational bond between you and the Father, he didn't stand back and avoid getting his hands dirty like the third slave in the parable. He stooped down. He offered himself up for sacrifice through his son Jesus. And that's because God promised to be our God, come what may. And Jesus, as the saviour par excellence, will protect the Father's asset. And he does that magnificently when he goes to the cross for us and removes our sins and restores our broken relationship with the Father so that we no longer have to live under the tyranny of another God or of sin's destructive influence or of eternal death. That's faithfulness. There has never been a more faithful action than Christ going to the cross for those he loves and has been entrusted with. You see, this parable is about how we should live faithfully with what's been entrusted to us. But it points to the master who exemplifies it himself. The expectation on us for faithfulness in 2020, it all flows from the faithfulness that Jesus demonstrated on the cross 2,000 years ago for yours and my sake. My most fervent prayer for us, I pray this prayer every week and sometimes most days in that week, is that God would grow us deep and wide. And he has given each one of us gifts and talents and bags of gold to do just that. So we've got a part to play. 
It's going to happen as we set about that task, operating out of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, which was put there, by the way, by God for this very purpose. We're in this together with him. He leads the way, and what he's looking for is faithfulness. And here's what I believe about that. Faith is a gift. When, when I came to know Jesus, I wasn't looking for Jesus. He revealed himself to me, and he opened my eyes and my heart to receive him. That was a free gift. But faithfulness is a choice. That's a decision that we make. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, Lord, I pray right now that you would gift that person faith, open their eyes to see you and their hearts to receive you as a free gift of grace. But if you're a follower of Christ already, in response to the free gift of grace that you've been given, choose faithfulness. And here's what I've learned about the cyclical nature of faithfulness. As you are faithful, you become more faithful. And I believe that God strengthens your faithfulness as a gift. And so you increase in faithfulness. The Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. In other words, if you find it hard to pray and connect with God, start praying and keep on doing it until you're actually praying. And I would say to you this morning, be faithful until you are faithful if you struggle in that area. The, uh, the popular psychologist Jordan Peterson writes extensively, specifically to young men on the subject. He encourages faithfulness to life's demands by saying things like this. If you're not sure what to do, do something productive. Tidy your bedroom. Take aim at something, even if it's haphazard at first. Aim for something. Look for the next heavy box in your path and pick it up. Essentially, make a choice to be faithful with the next step. Let me, uh, let, me, let me give us some ways in which we can be faithful in 2020. First of all, let's be faithful in our gospel witness. The parable of the gold bags is found in the book of Matthew. Now, if you get to the end of the book of Matthew, you trace more of Matthew's theology, you can find out more about what it is that we're supposed to be doing as we faithfully serve God's mission. And this instruction isn't just for some people. It isn't just for preachers or evangelists or songwriters or extroverts. It's for Christians. Listen to this. These are the last words of this book, and it's known as the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. However we do it, and it's got to be with words of some sort, we need to faithfully tell people about Jesus. I would encourage you today to decide that you're going to do that and work out the details afterwards if you need to. Otherwise, it becomes far too easy to bury the bag of gold and say to Jesus, well, I didn't tell anyone about the gospel, I didn't tell anyone about Jesus, but on the other hand, I didn't do damage to the gospel either. That's not faithfulness in the gospel. That's not faithfulness to our mission here at Gateway. And it's not faithfulness to the Great Commission. Why not decide today that you're going to exercise faithfulness in this area and then seek God and apply your gifts to work out how you're going to do that? I'm really not very good at starting one-on-one -on -one conversations with strangers about faith. I look at people like Paul Barnett and Vicky Clark and Judy Keoli, and I'm in awe of their gift to be able to do that. The, the gift that they've been given allows them 
greater freedom than me to operate in this area, but these guys have also decided to be faithful in this area. They've made a decision to witness to the world as to what they've seen and experienced in Jesus. And I don't want to bury my head or my gifts in this area either. We're all called to make disciples and to baptize them into Jesus and to help them to live according to his word. So this year, as a, as a prompt and as an aid to that effect, I'm going to carry around some help. These little books by Glenn Scrivener, there's some of them on the desk at the back, are short, well-written, engaging gospel stories that really engage people and uh, help people to see the truth of the gospel in a very contemporary way. So I'm going to carry a stash of them around with me wherever I go. And in 2020, I'm going to look for opportunities to give these to people. I'm going to have some stickers printed that has my name and my email address on the bottom. And a kind of a, if you want to know more about this, come and speak to me. But, or you know where to find me, but... I'm also not going to delegate my responsibility to witness what Christ has done in my life solely to Glenn Scrivener. So I'm just going to carry them around as a prompt to remind me of my responsibility to talk to people about Christ as well. And I'm going to look for that opportunity in a restaurant or on a train or at the supermarket checkout. And I'm nervous about this because it's not something I'm gifted in, but the master has called and I want to be faithful in growing his asset, the church. I encourage you to think about ways in which you too might be faithful in bearing witness to Jesus and telling the world about him according to your gift. Imagine if just one person comes to faith through the gospel, your gospel labor this year. We'd double the size of the Martha's asset here at Gateway in 12 months. That's what the first two slaves did and they were utterly commended for it. We should have a higher expectation of Jesus in this area. Second thing, Let's be faithful in our city in 2020. In his wisdom, God has brought you to life, placed you in this church, in this town, in this season, and given you the great commission to undertake. The final line of the great commission I didn't read is this one here. And surely I will be with you until the end of the age. Christ is with us. Here's that whole sentence explained as an equation. This is kind of how I think. You plus God, plus the Great Commission, plus BCP, plus right now, equals what God has asked you to do. If you're stuck or you forget this year, come and speak to me and I'll remind you of this equation. Nathaniel Hobby, who is uh, my co-elder who leads our congregation up at 502, and I, we often chat about this. Between our two sites, geographically, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of unsaved people. And up on Ashley Road, we're starting to see some of the worst effects of fallen mankind. And I know this because I sit on various committees in our town that discuss the problems and the possible solutions to the fact that within a short walk of here, we have a homelessness hotspot now. Public disorder, a growing drug culture, fearful residents, failing businesses, domestic violence, refugees, prostitution, alcoholism, trafficking, child poverty, and a rampant loneliness crisis. Don't tell me that our gospel work in this area is done. Don't tell me that people in this part of the world are comfortable and don't need Christ. There is a world of pain out there, and that pain can only be fully healed through Jesus. We've been a faithful gospel witness here for a hundred years, and that is so great, and I'm so grateful for God. But in so many ways, we're not even out of the starters blocks with this stuff yet. Let this be the year that we make great impact for Jesus in our city. I often uh, tell the story of when 
Victoria and I first moved into our house and literally every single wall was covered in a thick layer of dirty, treacly, smelly nicotine. And Victoria just burst into tears and said, God, I don't, I don't know where to start, God. And in his kindness, he whispered to her, just pick a spot and start there. In terms of how we serve our city region, BCP, in terms of how we help broken hearts and broken lives to find healing and wholeness in Christ, just pick a spot and start there. Nathaniel is passionate about us saturating Ashley Road with our trade so that we can help local businesses to thrive and befriend the area and bring the light of the gospel into the darkness of our broken communities. One of the things that uh, we're doing this year in terms of serving the poor is something John alluded to earlier on. We are grouping our eight social action teams together, that, uh, and we're going to operate under one banner called Gatehouse. Uh, so we're going to bring together our work with the elderly, the lonely, the victim of domestic abuse, the learning disabled, the dementia sufferer, the struggling young mum, and we're going to work together under this banner. And we're doing this because we believe that we can do more together and pack a bigger punch for the gospel right into the darkness of our town. That's what we're called to do. And we're calling it Gatehouse because it has a nice resonance with Gateway, but also a gatehouse is a place in a city wall where you move from outside one city to inside a city. And we are passionate about seeing people removed from the filth and the chains of the gods of this world and into the freedom and the life of the city of God. If you want to know more about this or want to get stuck in or want to be part of our Friday morning life group, ask me or ask one of our social action team leaders. We love BCP. We believe God loves BCP. And we believe that he's calling us to bring his transformative message of love and new life to it. That's one of the reasons we've got the cityscape up there on the wall. It's a constant reminder to me every time I walk in here that we're called to love God, to love people, to love our city. Just pick a spot. Start there. And then finally, this year, let's be faithful in obedience. Obedience to God's word. Everything I've said to you this morning, I can say with confidence and authority because it's lifted from God's word. When I say that God wants us to make disciples and serve the poor and grow the church and deepen, his, deepen our walk with him, that's not my opinion. My opinion counts for very little up here. My communication of his word is all that matters. And I read these things in his word. Faithfulness can be boiled down to one word, obedience. And we can only be obedient if we know what we're supposed to be obedient to. And here's how you find out. It's in God's word. It's in his love letter to you. It's in his, in his instruction manual to you. It's in his living word. Read it. In Jeremiah 2, God laments how his people have metaphorically stopped drinking from his spring of living water and instead they've dug their own water tanks that are broken and unable to hold any water and uh, they now drink from them. His people have turned from being obedient to his ways and shortly afterwards the roof collapses on the whole house of Israel in the most severe way. Nothing good comes from it. Drinking from the faithfulness of God in order to fuel our own faithfulness is a daily decision. Because we have an enemy who wants nothing more than to thwart our attempts at faithfulness, lure us back into sin, and then say to Jesus, look, they were not worth your life on the cross. 
and he prowls around like a lion looking for opportunities to ensnare us. Imagine being a, a gazelle caught in the snare of a hungry lion. It's going to be tough to escape from that hungry lion. So choose this year not to get too close to that lion. Decide on faithfulness now. Work out the details later if you have to. Faithfulness to God will involve getting into his word, understanding what he wants for you in this next season of life, and doing it. It also involves being faithful with your money, just as God's word instructs. Each Sunday, just as Vicky did earlier this morning, we encourage each other not to drink from broken water tanks in this area of our life, to faithfully invest financially in God's work, because God is good and his mission to save and redeem the whole world is vast and it will take resources. Don't wait until the next Vision Sunday to decide if you're going to be faithful with your money You'll never do it. Decide now. Work out the amounts later, but decide now, this year. This is the year I'm going to be faithful in this area. There is only one lion that it's safe to get close to. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he has overcome death and defeated sin and every enemy, and he fights our battles. And he is fiercely protective of his own. That is our master. And out of his rescue and protection of his people, he has given us bags of gold and instructed us to be faithful in how we invest them. Let's mark 2020 with faithfulness to our master, driven by our love for Jesus. The third slave didn't just waste the master's money, he wasted an opportunity. Let's not waste our opportunity to serve the kingdom and see Jesus reign in our lives and in our town. And let's desire to hear him say to us this year, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in the master's joy. Should we pray? King Jesus, thank you so much that you have done all that is required for us to live in a relationship with you. It was your faithfulness on the cross that has allowed us freedom from death and sin and uh, the tyranny of other gods. And, uh, and it was your death that has placed us back in relationship with the Father. Lord, we want to be faithful servants. We want to be those who are willing to take a risk for you this year, to be faithful with the gift that you've entrusted us with. Lord, our intention and our desire is to grow your asset, to work alongside you and to co-labor with you in seeing the church grow and people reached for your glory and for your glory to be increased in our town and in the towns and in the nations of the earth. So Lord, I pray for each one of us right now, this first Sunday of the year, Holy Spirit, would you empower us, gift us, and strengthen us to undertake what it is that you've got for us this year. Lord Jesus, that you might be glorified. We ask this in your name. Amen.